You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 46 of You Play or What. I hope all of you are well as we come off a long weekend for all students and teachers. Welcome back to the second part of my conversation with Li Jingjun, a musician that wears many different hats. Join us as we continue on the final segment of our thoughts about the SYF, his job in SOTA, his thoughts about composition and how the blue tech helped his trumpet playing. Things might be a bit stressful now for you and the people around you. I hope all of you stay healthy. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play or What with Jing Jun. I know that as long as the reduced instrumentation works, or rather the music is produced for a reduced instrumentation, it should work. Mm, right. So a little bit like the, the Mala 4 that we were talking about. Correct. It's going to play, right? Just like when the Mala 4. Correct. Yeah, when, when it's done properly, then it's absolutely okay. Yeah. Correct. But of course, most of the times, this reduced version, a lot of the the responsibility of the uh, individual musicians gets a bit higher. Correct. That is very true. Yeah. And that's just normal, right? That's Correct. because, yeah, we have lesser to, or you guys have lesser to work with. Therefore, each person do a little bit more. Correct. But that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing either. Mm. Uh, I mean, unless you're a brass player, you like have no chops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it really gets you as a musician involved more and playing more and I feel like as a student you need as much playtime as possible yep. so it's not really a bad thing mm. it's not that I think that every band piece should have every instrument playing all the time that goes against all <laughs> compositional uh, yeah. you know rules that we learn mantras right yeah, yeah like yeah, it's yeah. never a good idea yeah. and that also brings me to the point about flexi band works Mm -hmm. Uh, because it is very common for all five parts to be playing at once all the time or at least 80 to 90 percent of the time yep and um i know band directors who change the orchestration during the piece okay by changing the players who play certain parts so they kind of re-orchestrate the piece on their own and that really takes the piece to a new level as well. And I find that uh, the band directors who did that, really, the their bands sounded more colourful mm. in general. I mean, right. not that it wasn't colourful to begin with, because smaller bands, you can really hear the colour. But mm. it really makes the piece more colourful, because it's less homogeneous across the piece. You get that Correct. variance, which usually yeah. you find in a big band work, but not mm. a flexi band work. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that was a very, very nice touch. Mm. Um, I also know of band directors who did their own arrangements or compositions mm-hmm. uh, for the small bands. And that also worked very well because you write for that instrumentation specifically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Recently, actually, I did something like this for SOTA. Um, nice. Because, because we had to do a recording for the online week Friday, which we're taking part in. Oh, yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, not competing. It's just, you know, just video put on Facebook. Right. Uh, what, what are you guys recording? Slip band? No, 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 no. So, I got students to submit material and then I compiled okay. it all into a march. And then, right. you know, but, you know, when it's written for that instrumentation, it will, you will not realize there is a small band. I think that's the mm. magic of it all. Okay. Uh, as long as it's well written, you won't yeah. think about the size of the band. You just enjoy the music for what it is. I think that's the most important. You send the right musical messages, not whether your band is full or not. 
Yeah. And I think if it's a if it's a skilled composer, actually they are very economic with the with their writing, right? So mm. actually, even if you can have a, a quartet on stage and it sounds like super full. Yes. And and under with another composer that's perhaps a more inexperienced, you can have a full band and it sounds kind of like a little bit empty. Yes, it really yeah. is about utilization of the instruments. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we grew up in this time whereby the S-Wife is called central judging, right? Mm. So for the longest time, the organizers has always said that the S-Wife is... Uh, not a competition, but of course, in the past, it sounded more competitive because we were awarded medals, right? Yes. We were awarded the, the gold, silver, bronze and the certificate. Right now, uh, everybody is awarded a certificate uh, depending on how well you do. Maybe it's because of um, experiencing the brass band culture in the UK, which is extremely competitive, <laughs> right? Ridiculous. Yes. And you know that. Nuts. Yeah. But I'm under the impression that, of course, when it gets to a point whereby I can't talk to you during contest week because we are on a we're in a different band, that's a bit too much. Yeah. But if this competition or, or adding a little bit of competitive competitiveness would allow everybody to just up their game by a little bit, actually, I'm for that and I support that. You know, if the overall scene or the overall playing is better, so uh, what what are your thoughts on on this? Like, you know, this competitive element. For me, I never really enjoyed competition in music to begin with, but mm. I'm okay with the idea if, you know, you are in a competition. Now, the thing okay. is, SYF has never been meant to be a competition. Yep. So I don't like it when uh, bands use it to compete with one another. And I don't mm. like it when bands say, I got gold, you got silver, I'm better than you. I think okay. that is just childish because <laughs> you don't know what's the story behind the gold and you don't know what's the story behind the silver. Yep. For all you know, the silver band is consistently a good band and just on that day, maybe they had nerves or something and they didn't do as well. That's not mm. a fair comparison, especially if it's just two pieces, you know? Yep. And there's also a chance that, you know, the band that got gold, they practiced a piece for one year. Is that a fulfilling band program? I'm not so mm. sure. Yep. So I never liked the competitive element of SYF. I think every band has its own story and it culminates in the presentation, which is just playing two pieces or, you know, just presenting. It should be really just a gathering of bands for me. Uh, I always thought that it was, you know, it's called a festival. Everyone's coming together to share music with one another. That's why I also used to watch, even as a student. Uh, in fact, on the day itself, you know, I would stay to watch. Mm. Results or not, like, I don't I don't really care about results. Huh? So yep. that's that. Whereas, you know, SIBF, let's let's talk about SIBF. Yep. That is actually a competition. There yes. is a ranking. There yep. are points awarded. And it's mm -hmm. very clear cut that it is meant to be a competition. Yep. And if bands choose to take part in that and compete with one another, that is valid. Then, you, you know, you can say, yeah there is that competitive element and everyone ups their game. Mm. Healthy competition, I am all for it as well. Yep. Uh, as long as it stays healthy. Lah. Yes, but yes, of once, course. once again, I just think that, you know, we should never gauge bands based on the results because mm. once again, like I said, you don't know the story behind the performance. You can't say much about the band. Mm. I think it's not fair to talk about, you know, the level of bands based on one performance. Yeah. Um, I prefer watching concerts because I feel like it's a better, uh, I wouldn't say judgment, but a better uh, representation of what the band is. And I watch them sure. over years. And, you know, even small performances, let's say outdoor, uh, especially outdoor theater, they go there and play two pieces. Mm. Or that time, you know, Gardens by the Bay, when there were a lot of bands that played. I actually yep. enjoy watching these because you sh it really shows the band in their true state. Mm. SYF, I feel that sometimes it's a bit of a fast because you really focus <laughs> all your attention on two pieces. Yes. All these performances, you know, or like school performances, National Day, you play all those things, all those marches, mm. and you play on stage, Speech Day, even that kind of thing. Those for me are what the true band's true representations are mm. and concerts as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my take on mm. uh, the competitiveness of SYF. But mm. I do remember uh, in the past they used to have a top five competition. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Absolutely. And that, 
and, and also outdoor SYF, you know, there's oh, that real yes. competition. <laughs> that is exciting. Yes, yes. Yeah, even, yeah. even though it's, it goes against my uh, principles of competing in music, but at right. least it is clear that it's a competition. Yeah. Like it's a spectacle, right? There, there yeah. is going to be one top at the end. Correct. And that, until two years later, then you have to defend yeah. it again, right? Correct. Or, or unless you're like Mahabudi, then you're consistently there. Yeah, every time, right? correct. Yeah, and really, uh, I, I agree with you with what you say about uh, having concerts as uh, a better reflection of a band program or the standard of a band. Uh, I personally feel like how the SYF should be structured should be lean towards a little bit more creativeness or asking students to be more creative to think out of the box to think of like new programs or what sort of music they would like to play mm-hmm. and perhaps yeah over like a short maybe 25 minutes uh, presentation they show like you know what they've done over this last two years and uh, what is the theme and, and stuff like that but then again yeah that would make SYF one month long <laughs> But then that also means that instead of going to a central location, probably the, uh, the, the adjudicators need to visit the, the schools instead. Yes. Right. Actually, yeah. I, I, I mooted this idea with some friends recently also mm. that, um, you know, a lot of times the SOF result is used as a KPI mm. for a band program, which I don't agree with. But, mm. um, you know school leaderships usually are not uh, well-versed in music enough to gauge a band's uh, progress. So yep. SYF result is the closest they can get. Correct. Validation. And it's something tangible, right? You, Correct. You see it's something it. tangible. Yeah. yeah. So I understand that. So mm. I was always mooting an idea of, you know, if it could be an assessment of the program rather than an assessment of uh, a performance of two pieces, it would be great. However, of course, this would mean a lot of resources, a lot of logistics. Uh, we're talking about, you know, video recording, uh, NDP performance, for example, speech yep. day, that kind of thing. And you submit a portfolio of performances and a portfolio yep. of program and, mm. you know, like videos of the band in training, that kind of thing. Reflections yep. from the students, reflections mm. from the band director, things like this, reports, and, mm. you know, and various other performances. This will actually, what I like about this is it encourages schools to organize performances for the band which mm. I think many bands don't get the opportunity outside of SYF mm. which is also one of the key aims of SYF like, is to provide a platform for students to perform because not yep. every school can have the budget to you know go and rent a hall exactly so, it's a very noble thing for MOE yep. to provide a platform yep. I just feel that um, if we get to this it allows schools to uh, present the band in the mm. way that the school's resources can afford. Correct. Which actually is not very difficult because you yeah. don't have to book a fancy hall to do a concert. You can do it in a school hall. Exactly. You can, yeah. you can, you know, you can even perform during CCA Open House. That mm. can also be a performance that, yep. you know, measures the band, uh, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, the, and each program is tailored to each band because different bands have different resources, uh, different traits and different types of school support so you know if you can if you can measure a band program based on what it can reasonably do mm. but at the same time show its story over a year Correct. I think it's a lot more meaningful for sure absolutely mm. yeah and then you have this portfolio of performances you get this like list of repertoire that you've covered this year correct Right, rather than like I, I mean I don't know if there are any uh band directors out there who are now already thinking about two years time what they're gonna do. Right. <laughs> I I hope not. But, I don't think but, it's too early, right? Yeah. But the the idea that like, oh, you know, it's a it's a cycle every two years and at the same time, now if you are basing everything on that uh particular award that you receive, it's not really a reflection of what the band director can really bring to the table. Correct. Right. And I feel it, that it's also unfair for the band directors. Yes, because, absolutely. you know, what if that day just something happened and yeah. it affects the band? Correct. I think it's really not fair that the band director is judged for that one performance. For sure. Yeah, yeah. it's... I just feel like it has never it's been... It's harsh. A, very, yes, very harsh. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And it's not accurate in the first place. I absolutely. feel. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And what you are trying to do is to actually stop everybody from doing creative work. Correct. Right. And I feel be, like... Be in the box, right? Correct. Yeah. So I feel like... Because band directors will want to do things safe. Correct. So yeah. there's, because there's, there's no incentive to be creative. Correct. Right? There's no incentive to be... To take risks. To be different. Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. what I tried to do with the set pieces. <laughs> Well, it had some, it had some degree of success. So I, I mean, it didn't. But yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's, it's great. You know, you, you put up something that is that separates yourself from everyone else. You yeah. Know? In, in years to come, people are still gonna talk about, uh, the twenty nineteen wife, right? Yeah. No matter what they say, they're still talking you know? about it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Students. Correct. Uh, yeah. I've. I remember my trumpet student was telling me, oh, my seniors are playing FOE right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things like that. Um, yeah, it becomes a, a staple, right? It becomes a, yeah. a band program staple. Like I said, it's all the uh, fundamentals packed into a piece, right? Correct. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, maybe didn't, it's doing its thing. I didn't ask for a legacy to be created, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I guess in a way, it's a little heartwarming to know that I've yep. left a positive impact in some students. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I remember one student did telling me um, yep. that her juniors heard FOE, mm-hmm. never take part in 2019, of course, because yep. uh, she's sacked for this year. So it's, um, they are like in the last batch of students that played FOE because they were sacked mm. two back then. Yes. And the juniors want to play it for SOF 2023. So that was mm. kind of a nice, sweet thing to hear. Uh, I really yep. didn't expect something like that. Coming away from this whole SY thing, let's talk a little bit about your, your job at the moment at SOTA. Mm. And uh, tell us uh, what is it that you do that most people know and what is it that you do that nobody knows? <laughs> so, uh, I am now a classroom teacher. I teach like a normal... Music is treated as a normal subject. I teach various year levels. But my main focus is on the year ones, so the sec ones now basically. Mm. Um, and I teach them a lot of basic theory uh, because actually we our student profile um, ranges across dif- uh, diverse cultures. So not everyone is trained in Western classical music. Mm. We ha- also have like Chinese musicians who come in, Indian musicians who come in, and even singers who learn everything by ear but don't know how to read notes. So mm. I have to teach from scratch, that kind of thing theory, we talk a little bit about history, we talk a little bit about how to listen to music, what to listen out for in music mm. um, in order to analyze music. You know, before you analyze, you need to listen, you need to know what you're listening out for. Um, so all these uh, skills, is very, very skills focused, not so much content. Um, I think that is something that people might be surprised at because when people think of music as a subject, we think a lot about uh, learning the history Memorizing yes. the birth and death dates of composers. <laughs> if you ask me, I can I don't know the birth and death date of Beethoven. Right. Not even the years. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, these are things you can search up on the internet. Yep. So yeah, what's the point of memorizing I, them? And right? it's pure memorization. There's, Correct. There's no value in it, lah. Correct. To be honest. Yeah. Whereas Maybe I, you can flex a little bit, but that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Whereas in SOTA, yeah. we try to do things more skills based. Mm. So we arm students, uh, not just uh, skills to play music well, mm. but to play, to think about music critically, to okay. listen to music critically and to um, appreciate music. You mm. know, because a lot of people, um, when we listen to music, we only listen to what we like yep. and we don't break out into things that we are unfamiliar with. I wouldn't say we dislike, but because we are unfamiliar, we don't really listen. Yeah, you so don't at, gravitate towards that correct. genre. Right, yeah. So at SOTA, we not just expose them to a diverse array of music, but we also teach them how to listen out for various musical traits. Mm. And then also, you know, to make inferences about um, the genre and then to think about the context behind. That's where they learn about the history behind any piece of music. And it's not just Western classical. We actually do a very, very broad base of music we go into ethnic music from various cultures uh, we delve into pop and jazz as well we try to be as diverse as possible mm-hmm. and um, it's to for students to see 
things that are more in common rather right. than the differences. So it's a unifying uh, feeling of music rather than being divisive. You know, okay. You, in music, we like to box things, put things in different boxes. Yeah, genres, us, right? This, correct. Yeah, correct. For yeah. us, we try to not uh, get them to put things in boxes, but you know, mm. see things in, I hear this sudden dynamic changes in this type of music, and this is also common in this type of music. Okay. Kind of, you know, you make comparisons between different types of music, yep. different composers, uh, but you don't put them in the boxes. You think, you mm. listen more critically, and you... Uh, compare different music and appreciate uh, and like yep. oh actually this is quite si- this is unfamiliar but I hear mm. some things that are similar in the music that I'm familiar with mm. that already helps you make helps the student make a connection yes absolutely yeah. as well as things like various music that they have learned all along but they never thought about it that way for example mm. um, you know thinking uh, recently I was talking to my students about uh, patriotic music and then I was telling them actually patriotic music is basically a type of folk music you know, because everyone's singing together uh, nobody who sings it. it is music education is not required mm. you know that kind of thing yes. it's, it's a people's music Correct. so actually we don't think of it as folk music right yep. we are Singapore but actually yeah. it is yep. at the very absolutely at so the core really, of it yeah. correct it gets yeah. students to think uh, a bit deeper Mm. and a bit more critically yep. yeah so critical thinking is also one of the skills we try to arm them with mm. yeah and content they can always just search uh, yes. and then they derive from the content yeah the facts right the, the yeah. things yeah and then they present their findings things like mm. this we teach a lot of writing skills mm. um actually music class half the time is an english class at the same time because um at a year one level, because mm. uh, we need to teach them about how to write and talk about music, which they are probably not used to. The okay. best, the thing they are best at is playing that instrument. Mm. That's that's the main audition that comes in the SOTA, right? Yes. And then, uh, I mean, it's not the only thing that we assess for the auditions, but it is a huge part and it's their main motivation anyway. Mm. So writing, thinking about music are things that they never really learned beforehand. So we have to arm them with all these skills. So half the time it's really like a language class in a way. Mm. Getting okay. them to, not just language, but also critical thinking. To get them, yeah. you know, part ac- academic writing as well, right? Writing yeah, as, you know, correct. Yeah. And like yeah. organizing your thoughts and like trying to do things logically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any sort of ways that you go about trying to get uh, students to do their best work or the most creative work artistically uh, is it difficult uh, or do you have like certain prompts that you would ask them for them to to think of the box or or for you know uh, or think about a special project or whatever it is yes yeah, so um, we always design tasks in a way that allow students to step out of the box. Mm. Um, recently, we had the year one students do arrangements of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Okay. And of course, the, the focus is that because they previously learned about musical elements, how to listen to music, and now they have to do the reverse. In order to create a certain mood, uh, what elements do you manipulate? Dynamics? Is it pitch? Is it rhythm? That kind of thing. What do you mm. do to make music sound a certain way? Okay. So it's a bit like composition also, right? Yep. Um, and then they were given uh, adjectives and they have to arrange according to the adjectives. So mm. like, there were groups that got scary, there were groups that got festive, there were groups that got, I can't remember what last one was, tragic or something like that. Right. So like the tragic ones, right? Like a lot of them did some soap opera kind of style and in minor key and it's like very tragic sounding, very drama. Okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, the scary ones, they would like try and play with dissonant intervals, that kind mm. of thing, and sound effects and like soft dynamics, that kind of thing. So it gets the students thinking not about what is correct, but how they can achieve uh, certain effects, right. send certain musical messages. Mm. Yeah, then when the focus becomes that, they become creative because they then start to find solutions correct. for achieving their aims rather than, is this correct? Which mm. is what we don't like. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's more uh, end product driven, right? It's more what works than what is correct. Oh, oh I wouldn't say end product driven. It's also very process 
driven because right. we want them to think about the process mm. uh, and to also self-assess along the way. Okay. Uh, so, like you said, is this effective? It's not just at the end product that they ask themselves if it's effective, right. but during the creative process, mm. they're supposed to then reflect, um, is this creative or not? Things like that. Uh, not whether it's creative or not. Is this working or not? Does it sound scary or not? And after the end product, they are also supposed to reflect a little and think, uh, what could I have done better? Or whether we achieve our musical aims, that kind of thing. Right. And we do it in groups as well. So um, there is less, uh, it's less intimidating. Lah. Yeah. Especially at the yeah. year one level, they, we right. do everything in groups. Yeah. And we find that there's a lot of creativity that's coming out of the students from basic tasks like this. I think that's great because in a more traditional uh, education format like we grew up in there's not really any incentive for for being creative in fact the <laughs> the the more uh, creative you are sometimes the teacher asks you uh, maybe you come back in a little bit they, they want to <laughs> yeah they want to reel you in right yeah uh, yeah and uh, maybe that's just how things are designed maybe that's that's how um subjects uh of uh, or that kind of subject is being taught. I, I don't know. Um, mm. You know, I, I wish to find out more about how all these things works. But I think getting students to think about things out of the box is really uh, quite important, especially in uh, our industry and in our line of work. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Indeed. Uh, in fact, because we use the uh, IB curriculum instead of A-levels, so IB has mm. a lot of uh, things like critical thinking and problem solving in mm. a lot of the components of uh, IB. Um, and in the arts, actually, um, they will need to come up with their own musical project eventually at the mm. end of like year five, year six. They're supposed to come up with their own musical project and to simulate it. And then in this project, um, they need to think about a lot of things. Uh, practicality, the aims mm. of the project, the process, working with other people, mm -hmm. um, budgeting even. Yep. And yeah, it's like production, la, basically. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. this really teaches them to think um, about, you know, being realistic and solving problems based on the restrictions that you have, mm. based on the available resources. And uh, we do that from a younger age, but through more musical projects. Yes. Rather than more, because if you jump straight into production, it gets very boring. But yep. we, you know, do things a bit more musically and more organically. At mm. the same time, the kids become more hands-on. Yep. So we, we, we call this experiential learning. La. The right. kids learn as they do rather than they read or memorize. Right. Absolutely. So um, we do a lot of tasks and projects and a lot of creation. And then we mm. always get them to, you know, reflect on the creation. Uh, what could have been better, uh, you know, were you limited by certain things or what you could have done with the resources that you had? Like, do you think there were any missed opportunities, that kind of thing? Yeah, it sounds sounds really good. And I think I particularly like the, the collaboration part. Sounds like, you know, students get to, to interact and uh, collaborate with other people when yeah. they do these productions. Uh, such an important skill and something that I felt like I missed out uh, hugely, particularly my time in NAFA, where all these different art forms are just kind of near me, but I never really had a chance to to experiment with any of these things. I did learn about them, but nothing really, uh, I did not do any sort of interesting uh, projects Yeah. Uh, with these uh, different departments, right? Yeah. Uh, do you find the, how, how do you navigate this, right? So between the, the reality of the work that we do and our industry versus how much to encourage students to chase after what they believe in. Because I find nowadays this might be quite difficult to navigate because you can't be just selling them this great idea and then let them fall into this and then realize that, oh, actually this is not great advice, right? So for us, because most of the uh, things we teach are skill-based, more importantly, these skills are transferable. Mm. Um, it is not the aim of SOTA to generate like conservatory students, uh, things like that. Our, our priority is always to generate uh, critical and creative thinkers for 
the country um, more so than to generate artists. Because, you know, at the age of 13, you can't really say you're going to become a professional musician or professional dancer, for sure, right? Mm. You mm. only make that decision just before university. Yep. So these aims can change. But what we try to encourage is to arm them with the skills uh, which are transferable across industries, creative thinking, collaboration, critical thinking. Yes, things like this. Yeah. They are always yeah. transferable. Mm. And not only are they transferable, they are useful in any situation, any crisis. Yep. Um, such as, you know, even during the pandemic, you have to mm. come up with creative solutions to work around the limitations that we have as artists. Mm. Uh, but not just artists. I mean, all in all industries, right? There are limitations. And mm. then it will take a creative thinker to come up with solutions to problems that we have never faced before. For and sure. that's because of the skills that we arm them in SOTA, mm. um, that they will become successful in that aspect. Yep. So when you're talking about advice about the future, um, whilst we do give advice on certain schools, considerations for schools, for higher ed, um, for mm. the for people who want to continue in the art form, lah. Mm. Um, but we don't really. It's not like our mantra, you know. Like we are not training you to be conservatory students. We are training okay. you to be creative thinkers. Right. Um, but if you want to be a conservatory student, we have the resources to help you go down that path as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Um, yeah. Mm. I think yeah. it is. Uh. So this comes back to what people think about SOTA. I think a lot of people think that we are training. Uh, professional artists from a young age but actually that's not what we do Um, Mm. we are an IB school so we go by the IB values uh, critical thinkers uh, creative thinkers for the future Um, so it's through the arts that they develop these skills rather than we train them to be professional musicians Mm. and that's why there's also that misconception that we only do the arts but it is not true they also do all the uh, various other subjects Mm. chemistry uh, math literature geog all Mm. of these they still do them secondary school subjects Mm. Uh, in fact it's it's, it's harder I wouldn't say worse but it's Mm. uh, longer hours because they do all the subjects that a secondary school student does Mm. but on top of that they have a huge chunk of hours dedicated to their art form yeah for sure yeah Yeah. and I think one of the the best thing to come up from any sort of arts training is our reaction towards feedback I think we respond to feedback a lot better as compared to perhaps people from other industries where they might easily take it personally if somebody were to say that this is not good and then they'll be like what do you mean it's not good Correct. yeah and they take it personally because I think for example if you were to say study something that is more academic uh, sometimes the subject is about having a correct answer or the wrong answer. It's very sort of black and white. Isn't it? Yes. And then and the, the feedback that you get, if you get it right, then congratulations. If you don't get it right, then obviously it's wrong and then you go figure it out again. Yeah. Yes. But for us, it's just like a continuous journey. You can, it can always be better and it's correct. more about whether the message that you're trying to say got through to me or not rather correct. than yeah, what is actually uh, by the book correct or not, right? Correct. And because collaboration is such a large part of any art, artistic work mm. that you are bound to be able to work better with people. I think mm. that's the biggest takeaway that any young uh, artist uh, can take away from, you know, because mm. at a young age, you are you have to work with people in ensembles, uh, you can work with accompanists, you can work, you know, in groups. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you learn how to navigate around uh, maintaining healthy relationships. It's something that they learn and sometimes they make mistakes along the way, feelings are hurt, but mm. you know, they understand that it's a school, it's a learning environment, safe yeah. space, and we exactly. teachers, we try to facilitate uh, things like this as well. Mm. Yeah, so they learn a lot about human interaction mm. through the yeah. arts. Exactly. Yeah, which is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Yeah, not just about developing one skill. and then Correct. It. Yeah. All right. We have to talk about this, which is braces, <laughs> how you cope with it. Because when I see students after 
a couple of months, if they went on a break and came back with a pair of braces, I'm like, right, I, I don't know how to approach this thing because I won't push you too much because I know it hurts. Uh, I know there are limitations. So advise me, right, as a as a teacher, if there's a student with braces, how, how should we kind of, or how should I navigate this? Well, I can only say my personal experience and I yep. cannot say mine is the best idea. So yeah. I used to put um, blue tech, yes, mm-hmm. blue tech, uh, on my top braces, on my top brackets, just the front two teeth. Right. Um, and this was actually a solution that I found on a forum, on a trumpet forum online. Okay. How I came about this is because I started off with the, the usual advice, wear brace guards or use dental wax. Right. Now, brace guards didn't work because they were so thick. You know, it's like mm. the kind that NFL players wear. Okay. Or, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. or smaller versions of that, but it's still very thick. So it really affects our moisture. It's like crazy, yeah. like can't play at all. The right. lips won't vibrate because the thing you is touching a, the lips. Yeah. You have an aperture size of a ping pong ball or something. Uh, yeah. Like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, wax didn't, wax was not soft enough to okay. mold into the shape of the embrasure. Right. Yeah, so that also was problematic. So right. when I heard about, when I read about Blue Tech, you know, I was skeptical, but I was also, I was also 15 years old and I yep. clearly, I didn't think about the, any problems, you know, yeah. just <laughs> dumb and like, oh, online advice, just follow, let's try la, try la. Right. It worked like a charm. Okay. I think that go. was that was interesting. I'm not I'm not advocating that <laughs> students with braces just start pasting blue tech in your mouth, yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm just sharing my personal experience. I did that and it worked okay. for me. Yeah. Um, what I also liked was how uh, blue tech doesn't actually stick to braces. Mm. Like so it when you remove it, it's just removing yeah, it's very clean actually. Okay. It comes out easily. Yeah. Right. And yeah, just remember to remove every time you play finish la, and put yeah. only when you're going to play and don't leave it inside. Yeah, yeah. And some people enough. think that it might be a weird taste. Yes, there is a little bit of a taste, uh, yeah. but you don't have to lick it actually. So right. if you want to taste it, don't lick it. Okay. I, I thought you just take it out and like treat it as chewing gum or something. Oh, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. <laughs> right. yeah, please, please don't do that. Okay. Yep. So that was that. Mm. So of course, this is to, to cope with the, the mouthpiece pressure. That's Correct. Going, right. But at the same time, let's say you don't want the blue, blue tag. This might be a great opportunity to learn how to play without pressure. Mm. Or, but, or with lesser, right? Yeah. yeah. But of course, this will mean really knowing your limits because mm. it is easy to just apply too much pressure and then cut your lips. Yep. So it's, it's very important that um, as a student, you know your limits. And then you will need to tell your instructors what your limits are. Mm. And it's also important for instructors to know what your students' limits are when they have braces. Right. Because injury should never happen because of student trying for a note, you know. Mm. If, if <laughs> their highest note is this note, yep. let it be this note for this month. Maybe mm. the range can increase by another semitone or two next month. Right. It will take time to grow. Mm. Like it will require a lot of patience both from uh, instructors and the student. Sometimes mm. the student also, you know, kanjang like, oh my god, suddenly I can only play five notes. Yep. But it's important for the student to know that it is a hard reset. Yep. And it is like learning all over again, but you they cannot they cannot be impatient. Mm. The recovery will come, but you okay. just gotta be patient. The more yep. patient you are, the faster the recovery comes. Yeah. And was that for you? Is was it like from what you were able to play before and then reduce down to five notes after your break? Braces Pretty much. Work. It took me six okay. months to get back to where I was. Six, six months. months. Okay. And weekly lessons for six months to, yeah. to get it back up. Yeah. There you go. And okay. pretty much daily practice. Like yeah. long tones. Mm. And like playing very basic studies that don't go above second space C, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, right. Just, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so that, of course, at that point of time, you were 15, right? When you had the braces. Correct. When do you remove it? I removed it <laughs> only uh, just before my first year in university. Yeah. Um, so this is okay. This is because this is not a rare situation. Most people finish their dental treatment within two years, at most three years. Yeah. I had a stubborn tooth. Okay. I had a stubborn gap because you know I had to extract four teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one of the gaps refused to close. It's still right. not closed today. Just saying. 
Okay. Uh, buy to remove right. because uh, YST side, the trumpet teacher said, if you don't remove, that you can't make much progress. So mm. I decided, you know what? Yes, I'm just going to remove. I mean, the gap hasn't closed for six years. My teeth are not going to move anymore anyway. Yep. So okay. remove the braces and then just, there was another reset. But this one easier to recover from. Okay. So uh, how, how is that different? Did you go back to five notes again once the... No, it was not that bad. Okay. And the recovery was shorter as well. Right. Part of it probably is because you had some sort of experience, right? You think so? Or I like don't know, but it just... Right. I think with something removed, you recover faster than when something's added between your teeth and your lips. Okay. And it doesn't hurt anymore, right? That I guess that's the... Yeah. That's, that <laughs> yeah, that, that's also a factor. Cool. Um, yeah. So generally, uh, uh, with your career, uh, from what I've gathered in, in your story that you shared with us, it sounds like whatever you're shooting for, you kind of miss and then you end up doing th- that other thing that allow you to also still go into that school. So for example, when you were trying to be a composer, end up you, you end up with trumpet. When you try to go into conducting, you end up with composing, right? Yeah. Such setbacks, has it occurred to you at any point that, you know, maybe there's some sort of like, uh, is this a message from the universe telling me to like consider <laughs> options? Have you have you thought of that, or was was it like music is what I want to do? I'm just gonna like push um, forward. I wouldn't think. Well, I don't know. Um, so I'm firstly I'm not a religious person. I right. always believe that you yourself make your decisions, and fate is you know whatever comes, you go with the flow. Mm. Uh, I'm not a person who likes to plan very long term. Because I've learned from experience, you know, I've seen my life experience. There's no point planning long term; it will change anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so I I think by the time I was in university, I had seen enough of these directional shifts in life mm-hmm. that I've accepted it will be part of life, and mm. it probably is part of many people's lives as well. I can't right. be the only one, right? Yeah. Um. So, for me, I just. Took it easy, law. It's just say la vie, I guess. Yeah, there you okay. go. And I, I think a lot of people from the outside, especially people who have not gone to school with you, like myself, I never knew like all this sort of like path changes that you have to make along the way in order for you to have a career that you had today. And I think is that that's pretty cool, and it's yeah. very normal for us to see uh an established musician in in the scene and think that there are this sort of uh, overnight success, right? Like things just fall in place nicely for them. Uh, to a certain extent, yes, but to and there's always another side to the story where yes. it's not so simple, Correct. right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the sort of like ups and downs of like all our kind of journeys and stuff. Uh, now, as a, as a composer, uh, let's talk about self-publishing and having your work published by a company and can you like enlighten me on this on what's the difference of being like let's say selling your work on your website versus having a publisher publishing your work so um it's all got to do with the amount of money you earn per sale okay so uh, when you are when you sign with a publication company um, your cut will be quite low um, it ranges from 5 to 10% maybe 15% okay. if they're generous Mm. Uh, the, the most generous publication company gave me 50%, but at okay. the same time, um, they are very small companies, so they have a very high cut for composers to attract composers. Mm. Um, now, the good thing about a publication company is they do the advertisement for you. Right. They have a much wider reach than you can dream of. Okay, so you tap into their network to Correct. have your work. Uh, advertise, yeah. Correct. I mean, at the same time, you're fighting with a lot of other composers for sales, but still, the reach is there. And yeah, you're in the catalog, big... right? Correct. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, if you self-publish, your reach is like your friends and family, and as much as you can post on Facebook to attract attention. Yeah. Uh, if you have the, if you believe in paying for advertisement, then yeah, you can try. It might work. It might not. It's a gamble. Uh, things like this so self-published even if you earn everything you basically you take 100% of the cut yep. but you know there are costs involved uh, so let's say if 
I sell digital scores, but let's say you want to sell physical scores, you have mm. to account for printing costs. Yeah, for sure. Then you need to account for the website's costs. Mm. Um, and then you have to run your own website, you have to design, find a way to present, and then you have to yes. advertise, and to yeah. find connections, things like mm. that. Mm. Um, it's, it's, I would say there are pros and cons to both. Yep. I won't advocate one over the other. And actually, mm. it is also perfectly fine to do both at the same time, like I do. Yeah. And actually, mm. many composers do that. Yep, I, I think so. Mm. Yeah, and so for some, uh, for composers who are just starting out, uh, even perhaps at a, I would say, maybe conservatory level, right, when they just start out, uh, do you think it's a good idea for them to have their works available on their website? How would you gauge whether a particular work is ready to be shown to the public? My belief is that you show what you want people to see you as. Mm. Um, because for me, I treat my website not necessarily as a shop, but an online portfolio mm. where people can listen to my music and listen to my writing. Mm. And I put a wide diversity of writing styles up there. Uh, so people can you know, listen to the portfolio and they're like, hmm, this, this, this guy writes like that. I want to commission him to do something like this. So mm. in a way, this is like a CV, an online CV. Yep. To attract people to commission you for mm. either arrangements or compositions. Yep. Um, so maybe treat it less like a shop, more like a, a portfolio. Yep. And the more you put out there, the more people can see you. Um, yes, it does come with its risks because then people will start to develop an image of you. Mm. So, of course, you should be careful of what you put uh, up for, you know, for viewing. Uh, I encourage people to put up a diverse range of writing unless mm. you really want to portray a certain style that okay. you call your own voice yep. and then you try to sell that style, then yeah. by all means, do that mm. as well. Yep. Uh, yeah, and you have to be comfortable with the the more niche reach that you're going to get. Correct. Right? With Correct. That. Yeah. So if you were to give uh, one sheet pointers to someone that is looking to start some sort of composition, right? So they are maybe they have some theory background, they've learned an instrument for a while, and now they want to get into composing. What would you say to them? Don't start by writing notes. Okay. So uh, you should always start with a concept of the piece. What are you trying to show? What do you want to do? It's a bit like cooking. You need to think of your dish before you even get your your ingredients, before right. you think of the steps of cooking, right? You need okay. to know what your dish is, your end mm. product is. Right. Um, so you need to envision it. Uh, it doesn't have to be a clear vision from start to the end, like, oh, these notes, this harmony, this chord progression. It just right. needs to be a rough idea. Mm. Uh, what structure is it going to take? Yeah. Uh, what kind of material am I going to create for it? Uh, mm. What kind of instrumentation, perhaps? Uh, and sometimes this also, let's say, um, it's a commission, there are customer requests. Those can mm. also guide you uh, in your writing. But more importantly is to have that envisioning of the final product before you mm. start writing. Because that envision that vision will guide you towards all the things you're gonna write. We mm. call that a concept la, before you okay. write conceptualization. Right. Yeah. Okay. So before you write your notes, conceptualize first. Nice. Right. Yeah. So nowadays with your extremely busy schedule, how is your compositional uh, schedule looking do you write every day uh, when you have a project or do you now set aside time in a week whereby you do your work and then after that it's the next week or the next couple of days you come back to revisit again I don't set aside hours every day it's not possible right. <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> yeah. in fact I still set aside time to practice because that is yeah. so ingrained in me Okay. but I cannot set aside time to compose it's just because I can afford to take a one-week break from composition, I cannot afford to take a one-week break from trumpet. Everything just goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Brass player problems. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so 
it really depends. I, I tend to write in sporadic chunks. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it comes really quickly. Mm. It, it really depends on the nature of the project as well. Um, if it's something I can do within three, four days, I might just chung and then finish it. Okay. And then come back to it later. That kind of thing. Mm, I see. Yeah. So depending on the, the project, you'll decide yeah. what, your, what your writing schedule is like. Correct. Nice. I think it depends more on my life schedule rather mm. than... You know, I have to plan my composition around my life rather than the other way around. <laughs> okay. Right. So uh, recently, you've published this uh, Konkoni duets. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, right? So uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about how this came about. Has this always been uh, an interest that you wanted to do? And are, are we expecting more of this kind of learning material slash attitudes to come from you? So, um... For the Konkone, because I grew up playing the Konkone studies, lyrical studies, um, but as a player, I because I'm also a composer, I naturally filled in the harmonies in my head. I, I kind of could hear the music, you know, the accompaniment sort of thing. Right. Then when I started teaching, I started noticing that, you know, the students, when they play these lyrical studies, mm. when they see a long note, they really play uh no no direction no nothing no right. phrasing i'm like oh they don't hear the harmony underlying okay so um how i started this was i started improvising the second parts for fun with okay. my students and then it kind of helped them phrase right. so i realized actually you know what why if i could just do all 50 duets Mm. All the Konkone studies, just write duets for them. They right. actually come with piano accompaniment. Yes, yes. In the original voice version. Right. But of course, the brass versions we get don't have them. Mm. So I had to come. And you know, brass teachers, how many of us can actually play piano well uh, to accompany a student or even have a <laughs> piano at home? Some, yeah. some of us don't have piano at home, right? Yeah, I can hardly put together a major scale for me. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it makes more sense that mm. it becomes a duet. Yes. So, um, it was catered in a way such that the top line is always meant for the student and the bottom line is for the teacher to play. Nice. Of course, the roles can always switch. La. Not yes. saying that it's fixed. Correct. And ultimately, these duets are performable. Mm-hmm. Some of them more than others. Right. Because some are really just very hard to... The, the, mm. Especially number two really sounds just like a scale study. Doesn't sound uh, like music. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's the... Uh, and that only started at the start of this year. This this idea only came to me at the start of this year. Right. Because I started, okay. you know, giving my student uh, Konkone studies. So I'm like, wow, why, can't, why can't you see the phrases? Why right. can't you hear the words? You, you should hear the mm. words in your head. But then I just played along. And then the students playing just became a lot more natural, a lot more musical. Instantly, mm. just because I was playing an accompaniment. So I thought, you know, why not just put everything in black and white? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think it's a it's a great idea. I think nothing more than uh, nothing works better than playing right beside a student. Yes, you know, and, yeah. and sometimes the unison playing unison don't really help, but having like you know textures and like a different line to help correct. guide them. Yeah, correct. Things. Yeah, really good idea. And it also yeah. forces them to listen out for things like intonation as they mm. play, you know? Of course. It teaches them yes. to multitask more, not just play notes. That suddenly, yeah. oh, I need to be team with my teacher. Yes, 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 absolutely. And I think uh, a give and take, sometimes we don't budge, not because we think that we are correct, but we want them to be the one that is adjusting. And correct. then sometimes we can accommodate, right? There's always this correct. option there. Right, a final question for you. Okay. Yes. And this is one question that I think I will ask all uh, composers that come to the show, right? What are your thoughts about this thing called a writer's block? Does it uh, exist for you? Is it? Uh, I I heard that this is some form of a defense mechanism. Uh, what is it for you? Let's be real. Everyone faces it. <laughs> okay. So um, how I overcome it is I take time away from what I just did. Because there's no point hacking against a brick wall. It's not going to budge. So for me, I take time away from it. Sometimes I do another project. Mm. And it helps that I write sporadically because it gives me space between writing sessions. Right. And usually after taking time away from it, coming back to it gives me ideas. Mm. Because 
the mind does need space and time to create stuff. Um, even if you have a vision of the piece, you know, there are some things that we don't know yet. And sometimes our brain just needs some time away. Sometimes we need an inspiration as well. Mm. If you hear something like, actually, I really like that progression. What if I could borrow that progression and change a little bit of it? Is the musical effect the same? That right. kind of thing. Okay. Then you put it into the piece and you know, oh, it works now for my piece. That kind of thing. Mm. So I think it's important that composers spend time away from a piece, especially when they get a writer's block. Um, yeah, and of course, it's also important to plan time to take time away. So, you know, you shouldn't be last minute. shouldn't be doing last minute work. For me, mm. I love to start as early as I can because it gives me so much buffer time to take time away and mm. then to come back one, two weeks later even. Like, actually, you know what? This doesn't work as well. Let's can it. Let's try right. something else. And then suddenly yeah. I can make progress. Yep. So yep. it really differs from project to project, but mm. taking I find that taking time away uh, really helps. Even if a piece is done, Mm, Sometimes okay. I take time away from it. I right. come back to it. And then actually, you know, this section, I should just ditch it and just do something else altogether. Because mm. um, when you write something and you, well, if you do, if you use notation software, you do a lot of playback, the piece grows into you. Yep. And you need to kind of forget a bit and then come back with fresh ears. Then you mm. see its problems. I see. Yeah. yeah, you need to always listen to your music from a listener's perspective, mm. a, a listener's a first time listener's perspective. Right. And sometimes, as a composer, it's very hard to do that. Uh, if you have been working on something daily, you really okay. need to take time away from it. Mm. And sometimes I, I find that this is also true for performance, not just composition. Mm. Like if you're practicing a piece, uh, you're you're gonna perform a, a solo recital, and there's this piece that you play, 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 and then you take one or two weeks off the piece, don't touch it. Mm. And then you come back to it, suddenly you're like, actually, you know what, maybe I can do this here instead. Mm. It makes more musical sense. Yeah. So you start to see new perspectives. Um, yeah, so it's always important to take time away from yeah. something and mm. to plan time to take time away from it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer of like peaking as well. Yeah. So yeah, and I think you once you hit, if you don't time it properly and you pick too soon, yeah, that could be a problem, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, it could be a real problem. You start picking on like really weird things, and you start to yeah. overthink a lot of things. That is, yeah. Like, yeah, and that's the best time to then take time away from it. Just exactly. Stop. Just yeah. you know, Correct. don't do that thing anymore. Just yeah. stop. Do something else. Just exactly. play another piece. Play something you're not gonna perform. Side read something for fun. Yeah. It activates your brains in other mm. ways and yeah. it might help you unlock something as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or go on a holiday, you know, yeah. with a cheap flight, right? That's <laughs> also another option. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That is true. Yeah. Great. Right. Uh, I've taken up so much of your time and thank you for, for being so generous, for speaking to me for, for such a long time. No uh, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good place for us to wrap up the conversation. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing. It's insightful. um, And of course, learning uh, new things about your life and your your journey. Yes. And yeah, I I hope you you had a good time uh, talking about uh, what you do. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for having me and letting me share stuff like this. I don't usually get to. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a great pleasure. Uh, Without all all of you guys coming on, uh, there's nothing... Uh, here on the podcast yeah. for me to share right it's nice uh, that you're doing this for the artists as well yeah I, I think it's uh, I mean it's all stories uh, worth listening to and I think it's, it's all really interesting yeah. yes yes great stuff uh, thanks again Jingjun for coming on and thank you Vincent yeah, we will hopefully in the next couple of months to have you uh, on again yeah if they have some new projects or different things to say sure sure yeah. I'm more than happy to return yeah. So for all of you listening, uh, thank you very much for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. 
The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.